we are dealing with the fact that people we live with next door, people in our churches, people in um, our communities are possibly going to be spending eternity in hell. And, and we would rather talk about equitable redistribution of wealth. Welcome to the Stand Firm podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Anglican Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Great. Yeah, doing well, Nick. Thanks. Matt is uh, driving across the country right now. I was going to ask, you're not podcasting and driving, are you? But I can see that you're podcasting and driving. <laughs> I'll try not to curse. He's got both hands on the wheel. That's all right. right, right. 11, 11 and 2. That's good. Good, good technique. <laughs> yeah, keep your eyes on the road, pal. <laughs> <laughs> So we've reached the end of our three-week Help Nick Be a Better Pastor series. Um, I'm planning this class that I'll give to my church. I didn't tell you, Matt and I have spoken. We think for your sake and the sake of your congregation, we're going to extend this for the rest of the year. Okay, Uh, That's right. Just just three weeks is not nearly enough. Your godly admonition. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So I've got this class that I'm going to do at the end of the summer on identity, sexuality, and justice. And our hope, as we've stated all along, as we've talked about these issues on the pod, is that they won't just be a help to me, but to other pastors who are trying to catechize their churches, as well as to lay people who want to learn about God's good plan in these areas. So over the last two weeks of the podcast, we've talked about identity and about sexuality. And last week, I said that though sexuality is currently the point of friction at which people decide to leave an evangelical church, justice, I think, is poised to become that reason why people leave churches behind. We're already seeing it happen. And now as we have this discussion, I imagine that there's a lot we could talk about, power, privilege, oppression, and more, but perhaps the best place to start is with a pretty simple question. What's the difference, if there is one, between biblical justice and what's commonly called social justice? I mean, biblical justice is, I think, the best one-word definition is impartiality, where the person is called not to uh, judge another person on the basis of ethnicity or skin color or whether you're rich or poor. The instructions that the Israelite judges are given in Leviticus in particular comes to mind that not to give deference to the rich or to the poor or to favor the rich uh, has that principle at, at the baseline. You, 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 uh, you judge a case if you're a judge on the basis of who, is, who, who has the evidence behind him or, or her, um, not on the basis of any other factor. Um, whereas in social justice, I think what we're finding is it has to do with for lack of a better word, vengeance, uh, you know, righting a wrong, righting a past wrong, figuring out who is the oppressed person and, and overturning the oppression, uh, not necessarily by use of actual biblical justice, but more in terms of getting recompense, finding a way to uh, tear down those who have and give to those who have not. Um, there's a, there's, a, there's a, a lot of what I would call envy mixed in with uh, with social justice, or at least the attempt to evoke envy on the part of others. If you look at this person who has this and you don't have it, let's let's join together so we can we can get it from these people who have it. And 
all of that has nothing to do with biblical justice. Um, right. One way, I mean, another, another thing is you'll notice in the social justice sphere is that things that are morally neutral in scripture, like social privilege, wealth, power, even morally neutral become sins in the, the social justice realm. That's right. So that, so that it's, it's again, not a, not so much impartiality as studied partiality. Who, mm. who is the, who is the one who needs to be favored in this situation because of past oppression or perceived uh, past injustice. I think that's pretty good. Pretty good summary of it, actually. I mean, I think that. I mean, the difficulty, of course, when we talk about justice at all in a fallen world, is that it's never going to be perfect. And so, of course, there's history. You know, uh, history is easy to point out areas where this ideal, biblical ideal um, of impartiality and equal weights and measures and the just magistrates and all these things have been uh, clearly fallen well, well short of the mark. And so, you know, there's a the the idea of the conversation around biblical justice versus social justice that um, that well well the difficulty has been is that there's been um, the the existence of the failures in the past have been the fodder and the sort of justification for a rejection of the entire the entire mm-hmm. system and that's just a difficult place for Christians to enter into because we want to be the first with the rest of the world to acknowledge that there are imperfections, there have been sins, there have been um, people who have fallen short, there has been partiality, like you know, uh, studied partiality on, on behalf of the within the church and and uh, by Christians, and so there's no one is denying any of that. The difficulty is. Um, do which ideal do we then hold up and what standard, you know, by what standard are we particularly within the church uh, to be judged and then judge others? And this is where the big difficult, the big distinction lies, because what social justice, as it is being um, uh, argued, is bringing to the table is exactly as you say, Matt, a, a counter um, and an explicitly counter biblical understanding of human relations, um, societal relations and interpersonal relationships, because if I am supposed to identify uh, to uh, to relate to you as anything other than a uh, creature of God who is distinct with culture and customs and and um, uh, you know, all sorts of things by birth, but those are not substantive of who I am as a human being before God and then before neighbor. Um, well, then we're not talking in a Christian way about that. We're just not. And, you know, that people haven't done that is certainly a, a, a sin that people have have confessed and been absolved of for for as long as people have been sinners. And yet the ideal and the beautiful uh, unifying reality of the church, as we've talked about from the beginning, has in fact been that in Christ, there is no Jew or Greek, male or free, slave or or, um, uh, a male or or female, slave or free. Uh, You are all one in Christ Jesus. Do not therefore submit again to the yoke of slavery, says the apostle Paul in Galatians three and four. And so what, what, um, what the social justice world is asking us to do is submit once again to that to that yoke of slavery whereby um by function of our birth we are either um oppressors or or oppressed we are um you know sort of legitimate or illegitimate based upon um you know secondary uh characteristics of our 
of our um, of our birth by you know our ethnicities, our height, our weight, our color, our our um, you know whatever the case may be, and that is uh, that is a hellish world. That is a hellish world, and we see uh, the fruits of that world uh, producing quite unhappy people, quite angry, and and there there is no there's no gospel in that world of only law, and that's that's the problem with with social justice as it as as it is often defined. There's more. It has more in common with mafia justice than with biblical justice because mafia justice works the same way. Hey, you whack my guy, we're gonna go whack your guy. Uh, you you're you take you take a shot at us, we're gonna take a shot at you. And this just extrapolates that same principle to to people groups and and nations. So you whacked us in the past, so we're gonna take you down whack now. And what happens in those kinds of situations is they just cycle cycle on forever. That's it. That's the whole the whole purpose of the gospel, or the whole one of the effects of the gospel, when it hits a diverse population, is that it stops that cycle. Amen. It, you know, Paul doesn't Paul doesn't come into Corinth, and I've used the example before. Paul doesn't come into Corinth and say, "Okay, I want you, I want you Greeks to go off in a corner and think of the ways that you've been looked down upon by Jews for like centuries, right? And just just list all of the instances." in which you've been treated unjustly by Jews. And, and you Jews, I want you to go off in the corner and think about all those times those Gentiles have harassed you and ranked you and persecuted you. And then we're going to then we're gonna have to come back and negotiate how we're going to pay one another back for all those past sins. Because right through that, no, you just forgive each other. You are one body now. So there's no, there's no reparations. There's no, uh, you, you can confess past sins. That's great. But, but we're not going to play who gets what. We're going to play... Now we're all one in Christ who has paid the penalty for everyone. Yeah. And lo and behold, people began to help each other's burdens. You know, like you need, I mean, I've, I've lived um, long enough, you know, I'm old enough to remember, you know, when Christian people helped their, um, the people who had less money in their congregations send their kids to the schools, you know, to help people with braces, to help people with, to help each other as brothers and sisters in Christ uh, was, was a willful and a, a beautiful thing. And I think that, Again, uh, it's it's not always the case, and we obviously have uh, we can point to all sorts of, of of you know examples where the hypocrisy reigns, and yet the ideal is a beautiful one, and we are actual recipients of having had it work. I mean, can you imagine the 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 uh, animosity that the Roman uh, converts would have faced um, just by virtue of their oppression over the, all of the people that they had um, conquered, and yet somehow. Many Romans became Christians with with former Jews, with former, you know, Cretes and Parmenians and Medes and, you know, all of the various uh, people that Paul talked about all over the ancient world. And so and then, of course, you think about, um, you know, the way that Christianity has has infiltrated the rest of, of the four corners of the world, you know, yes, via, um, you know, through the age of colonialization and empire, as it's called. Um, and there were some tragedies and horrors in that. And yet, you know, many of the Christian people around the world uh, would say that, well, at the very least, you were Christians, you know, we have been, we have, I think we spoke about that once. Um, did we, did we remember Nick, when we had a, yeah. we had a uh, professor, did we talk about this on the podcast? We've told the story before, but you can tell we it have. again. Yeah. No, it's not worth it. Essentially, it was a, it was someone that was complaining in, in right ways about some of the atrocities that had been per perpetrated upon a colonial group by the British uh, back in the 18th century. 
And um, and the question was posed, well, well, was there anything good at all about it? Well, she did. They did bring us the gospel. You know? So he said, well, I mean, I I wouldn't be able to say that, uh, you know, with with such conviction. But but I'm glad people do. And I think that this is what we are in danger of losing is not the the hope for fixing current ills. I mean, I don't know anyone. I've never actually met a Christian, as, despite what people are intimating all over Twitter about uh, supposed uh, people that oppose social justice, not caring about, quote unquote, justice. Um, I've never actually met a Christian that I've had any meaningful conversation with that isn't interested in observing the current difficulties of hurting and um, sort of, uh, well, hurting people, however they're hurting, and wondering how, as a Christian, they could alleviate that. I've never met a Christian that doesn't, in some sense, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have a burden to help those who are, are hurting or oppressed or marginalized, whatever you want to call it. And yet we have a totally different understanding of, of where that ideal will lie, uh, the ideal, um, and how do we apply that? And that's, that's really what we're in danger of losing is that is, you know, someone was saying, well, I, I'm, a, I'm a person of color and I have four children and I'm not going to allow them to be raised, you know, in a world like this. And I'm like, well, I have, a, I have four, well, we have three children, hopefully more. Um, and uh, I don't want them raise them in your world like that. I'm not going to raise them as as white children who are somehow ontologically different than quote unquote black children. I'm going to raise them as 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 redeemed sinners who are to to interact with people as we say in Acts 17 as as having been made of one blood, all the people of the earth. And and I'm going to to prayerfully and joyfully teach them that. And it's going to be contrary to whatever the, the prevailing pious myths of the world, as Paul calls them, uh, will be telling them about who they are and what their uh, actual commonality with the with the rest of people are. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not. I, I refuse to to enter into that world, and that's what we're being asked to do when we're when we're we're looking at the distinction between biblical justice and social justice. It seems like you've hit on the first of the major ways that these two worldviews split. Right? How how people in the world are divided up, and it seems like a social justice worldview wants to d- d- divide people by their characteristics and then into categories of oppressed and oppressor. Now, Christianity, the biblical worldview and biblical justice does also want to divide people up. It divides them into two groups, sinners and Jesus. <laughs> Those are the two groups that we get. That's right. And as you, in Adam or in Christ, that's right. Amen. And um, we are either sinners in need of redemption or sinners who are celebrating our redemption together. But either way, that, that one Blood is the common identity marker that disallows any other identity markers to be constitutive of who we are. Amen. Another difference between biblical justice and at least the current idea of social justice is the expectation that we have in this world that justice will be done. When you when you read the scriptures, you find a low expectation that all injustices will be righted. We have. Uh, for example, the, the requirement that for someone in an Israelite court situation or a judgment situation to be found guilty, you have to have two witnesses and evidence. And if you don't have those, you got to let it go. Even if even if you're pretty sure, pretty sure the person is going to be guilty, you have to let it go. And underneath that is not just a you know, case of rah, rah. It's it's 
it's a sense of trust that one day real, true, perfect justice will come about when God when God rights all the wrongs. And so that person who did, committed the crime may get away for, with things now, but not not in the end. Now contrast that with social justice as it's played out in our day. There is the expectation that that we will be able to exact perfect justice here and now. And there's a kind of scrambling. That's why you see the scrambling to assign blame to people for for things. This is why when you listen to or read some of the more prominent evangelicals or Anglicans who are involved in in social justice, you will often find yourself reacting by saying, well, that's slanderous. You, you can't you can't say all white evangelicals are guilty of masochism or excuse me, uh, uh, misogyny. Thank you, <laughs> misogyny <laughs> or masochism. Uh, I don't know, I don't know, whatever it might be, some horrible thing, right? Um, because because they have to have uh, they have to have. Now, have you met every white evangelical? <laughs> yeah, no, but it doesn't matter. They it's it, it, social. Because there's this expectation that we are going to bring That's right. the perfect justice down now by our own power and ability, uh, there's this belief that you can just make these sweeping, broad generalizations about whole groups of people and then set about righting the wrong, uh, wrong yourself. No, and it's not like we don't have historical precedent for how wrong this can go and how quickly it can go. I mean, you know, every time... Every time um, godless ideologies, which I think this is really one of them, which does have a, a um, impatience with the brokenness of this world because there is no hope for heaven. Um, every time these godless ideologies have taken over and been given uh, the power of the state or the power of the sword behind them, then bloodshed um, ensues. I mean, there's no there's this is what happened. I mean, the French Revolution, you have the you have the uh, communist revolution, you have the, the various, you know, ethnic and tribal um, sort of, uh, um, you know, genocides all around the world. Like once this, once an idea that, that heaven is attainable, this side of, of, of death, and I know what the problem is, it's those people over there. Well, then you, your, your self-righteousness and your, your sort of uh, self-justification for, for any means necessary is, is almost limitless. And so uh, that's what's so dis- so so alarming about a lot of this this energy is that things that were inconceivable uh, to even imagine, you know, maybe five ten years ago, are now um, are now almost plausible with respect to the links that people will go to quote unquote reach justice this side of heaven, and it's it's just it's alarming, I think, and I think if the church in particular doesn't stand up, is as unified as it can, and push back against this these godless ideologies well then i think we are going to uh you know those churches that stand that stand uh with it are going to get swept into it which we're already watching and the churches that stand against it are going to come under fire and um you know that's that's just where we're going to be and i think that it's it's still worth the not worth i think it's i don't think we have a choice really we don't have a choice because we cannot we cannot affirm a a biblical picture of the world and simultaneously uh, separate people based upon their their ethnicities their their quote unquote race their their uh, whatever various intersectional um, identities that they claim um, that's just not that's not something given for Christian people to affirm. I was watching a 
I, I forget even what I was watching, but a professor from Houston discussing who's wearing masks and who's not wearing masks said something like, the black and the brown people are among us. They're, they're, they're heeding the state guidelines or the government guidelines and health recommendations, but the white people are not. And it, it, we would be a lot better off if we would just get rid of them. And that goes to what you were saying a minute ago about uh, JD about how uh, you know how this gets this this gets tyrannical and murderous really fast if we go that route. Yeah. Oh, well, you I mean, get rid of the white people. I thought you were saying yeah, get rid of the yeah. masks. Goodness. No, you know, it turned from masks to let's get rid of the white people, which is really <laughs> <laughs> the way that guy that escalated quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Well, I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's clear and it's also a function of, we've talked about before, the receding Christian worldview. You know, this was, this is not something that happened overnight. Uh, we've seen the, the confidence in the hope of heaven um, sort of be eroded over, over centuries, you know, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And it's some, um, you know, it's obviously a cause for alarm, but we are living, the Lord has asked us to live in the, um, in the day when the bottom has dropped out. And so we are, um, we are prayerfully and hopefully uh, equipping, equipped and equipping ourselves to, to understand what's happening, to see, the, see that the, the vitriol, the passion and the desperation behind a lot of this is in fact theological. It's not a, it's not society. I mean, it, it may, it works itself out in society as all theologies do, but that there is a, there is a impassioned spiritual push for absolution and satisfaction this side of heaven. And that is only found in Christ. And, and that, that's just what we will continue to preach. And, and it will be offensive to people who say, well, of course, it's easy for you to say because you're X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, you know, I, I, I understand what you're saying and will continue to, to, you know, lovingly walk with you, but I'm not going to stop saying this and it won't cease to be true. And the law will continue to provoke wrath. The law will continue to reveal sin. And yet it will gratefully be in service of bringing people to a saving knowledge of Christ. And that's that's what we're going to keep doing. And, you know, I think it's, 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 I'm sure it's frustrating for the people who keep lecturing you, Matt, about how you haven't, you just clearly haven't heard what they're saying enough because you can, you don't, you don't agree with them um, after years of being um, explained to, you know, time and time again. And yet I think with them, you know, we sit and say, well, we actually may have heard you. We've heard you. We've, we've read the, read the, the books. We've, we've done the introspection. We've, we've done the listening. And this is where we've come out on this issue. And um, yes, there are problems that need to be addressed. And there are, um, there are all sorts of hurting people that we want to minister to. And hopefully it can alleviate some of their suffering this side of heaven. But fundamentally, the, the grounds for discontent and dissatisfaction with this world is primarily because it's not our home. And if you think it is, well, then that's going to be part of your problem, not the solution. I think that a second place of disconnect between the way the Bible talks about justice and the way society talks about social justice, I, I'm reminded of the way Vadi Bakum defines justice, which is just that God's will would be done. Mm. And one of the things that we read over and over again 
that is supposedly problematic about the way society functions is that these dominant and oppressor groups have what's called hegemonic power. They get right. to decide what's normal. And so what feels normal or what makes quote common sense is actually just a dominant oppressor group asserting its power and privilege right. onto, onto the oppressed. The problem is that Christianity is founded on the ultimate hegemonic power. Right? <laughs> we have right. an almighty That's right. God That's right. who has said, this is the norm. This is what makes sense. And so these two systems cannot coexist. Social justice will inevitably, ultimately, as we've seen Abram Kendi, for instance, do explicitly reject anything like That's right an almighty creator God who sends his savior to save sinners. This is just an impossible thing for a system that rejects the possible goodness of anything, quote, hegemonic. That's right. No, that's exactly. And we see this, we, we're watching this. I mean, I, I passed around an article the other day um, about uh, the, the social justice reforms in the church of England and many of the criticisms were simply that, that, that the, the past of the Church of England, because it was, it was sent out with the, um, with the colonial um, you know, enterprise, uh, was seen as hegemonic and you know, needed to be, quote unquote, decolonized, uh, this, the church, you know, which, which we will find very in short order that the harm caused by, um, you know, supposedly now the harm that the church is bringing to the, the quote unquote LGBTQIATP community is that we are, um, by questioning the legitimacy of these identities, we are causing them harm. Well, that's just a subset of the larger argument that the Bible levies against the world, which is that sin is your problem, uh, whether however it manifests itself. And uh, it, I don't I, I mean, again, I don't know what the future holds, but it doesn't seem too far fetched to think that at some point the very preaching of, um, you know, that you are all you're, that, that everyone is a sinner in need of salvation. You know, a sermon like um, Jonathan Edwards sermon would be would be considered hate speech, you know, like you're all sinners in the hands of an angry God. Well, you can't say that anymore because that's that's causing me harm. That's bringing that's further perpetuating your hegemonic power over people and. And how dare you, you know, how dare you, you claim this. And I think um, this is the logical end of a, uh, again, the godless ideology that purports to find um, human meaning in our, um, what we would say is our, our sort of the, the secondary characteristics of our identity over against the fundamental one, which you pointed out in the beginning, Nick, which is that we are either sinners or sinners saved by grace. I mean, that's it. That's all we have. And, and the fact that, the Christian message was able to infiltrate and transform um, cultures, incredibly diverse cultures all around the world for its entire existence is a, is a testament to the fact that, that that truth resonates by God's mercy in the hearts of sinful people, whatever language or color or, or creed they formerly had, and creates a new creation out of uh, every tribe, tongue, and language around the world. This as promised, as promised, and it will continue to do so. And if you want to fight against that, well, then you'll join, you'll join the opposition that's always been there, but we'll, we'll finally, um, um, we'll, we'll finally lose to God himself. <laughs> that's where we are. Well, yeah. And I would, I would also point out in addition to that, is I don't, I don't, I don't think that regardless of what they might say, that they really believe hegemonic power is evil. They just believe they, it's in the wrong hands. If they, you know, 
if they had the hegemonic power, right. they would set things right. It's not that it's bad in itself. It's just all the bad people have it. Yeah. Um, and we've got to take it from them and give it to the right people, and then everything will be well. It is quite frightening that the people who are pushing for the social justice or a lot of the advocates do not seem to be frightened by Lord Acton's famous um, aphorism, you know, that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Like there doesn't seem to be any, any sense at all that perhaps maybe one party, one vote, one kind of one idea uh, that can't be questioned or pushed back on or debated even uh, is a bad idea. Like that's, that's something quite um, that that's been a, an aspect of this entire discussion, which I was not prepared for. I have to say, like I was, I was, raised and kind of trained to um, get ready for a for a lifetime of, of vigorous fellowship, you, you could say, you know, within the church. I mean, knowing that there was all sorts of things that people disagreed on and there was going to be kind of fighting, um, you know, hopefully bl- bloodless fighting, but but nevertheless, ideas worth fighting for. And one of the things that's been shocking and quite surprising for me is that is that there hasn't even been any interest in discussing these things. Not really. Uh, the discussion has simply been a louder and louder uh, sort of uh, yelling of of the the obvious truths. And if you eventually, if you don't, you know, we'll, we'll start lovingly try to explain to you why you're wrong and this is right. And we'll get louder. And then finally, we'll we'll just take a stick, you know, because there isn't really a discussion to be had about any of these things. You know, we have we are doing the best we can to have that discussion. And yet, um, at some point, you say, well, if, if we really aren't going to, to be talking uh, to each other or, or with each other, uh, then what we're going to do is start to have to gather people around us and just equip people to, to live their lives and, and work through their own, you know, loving their own neighbors, uh, their family and their friends and their, their towns, cities and, and, you know, whatever influence they have as best they can uh, with the, with the guidance the Lord has given us through, um, through the scriptures. And that's, you know, I think that's what seems to be happening because it doesn't seem like whatever conversation about the um, across the aisle, if you want to say, or across this divide, doesn't seem to be very fruitful at the moment. A conversation is impossible when only one side is willing to acknowledge that it even has access to the truth. This is another aspect of, of the social justice worldview is that the classes of people that are in the oppressed groups are seen to have actual special access to the truth that oppressors do not have. That's right. And of course, again, we, we come to a point at, at which we must depart from this worldview because Jesus says explicitly that he is the truth, that the truth is outside of us, outside of, the creation itself, it is findable, it is accessible by anybody, it is Jesus Christ. And so that's a foundation upon which we can have a conversation outside of that. If truth is only accessible by part of the group, then how can you even talk? That's right. That's a good point. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how difficult it is, though, sometimes for people that you, you, you talk in terms of worldview. But it's interesting how difficult it is for people to see that what we're really engaged in is a clash of diametrically opposed worldviews because the people in the church who take the social justice position use you know, biblical language. They talk about repentance. They talk about confession. They talk about recompense. They, they talk about the need for a penitent attitude. And, and all of it, if you're, not, if you're not really thinking through how they're applying this language can sound really Christian. So, so 
a lot of people, I think, in the church are confused by the conversation, and they don't understand what we're really dealing with is, is Christianity versus something else. Christianity versus a, a counterfeit system that's worked its way into the church through the use of language yeah. um, and, and the use of piggybacking on Christian ideas of fairness and, and, and repentance and, and, and all, the, all the rest, P- piggybacking on it and changing it, transforming it then. So you're going to have a lot of a lot of confusion. I mean, I I, I remember I'm I'm speaking to someone pretty soon who, who says who says to me, "Well, why are you know? It looks like these people are really you know, thirsting and hungering for for you know racial justice or or sex justice or how you call it. Well, we really want to be sexual justice, gender justice, or whatever. Maybe. Um, and, and it's all in it's that's that's all infrastructure. It's all infrastructure." Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> and you're nitpicking, right? You're, all you're doing is nitpicking about language. You're, why, why does that? Why, why are you so focused on getting every little detail right in their in their critique and not listening to their just their hunger and thirst for justice? And and that's that comes from some, someone who means well, but who hasn't taken the time or just doesn't have the will to investigate the philosophical right. moorings of what's being said, and so they don't realize we're not dealing with Christians just trying to have justice and using maybe wrong words, That's right. an actual attack on the heart of Christianity. Well, you know, and it's it, that's exactly right, Matt. And as you were talking, I just couldn't help but but think about what's what's really going on here is, you know, for those of us involved in the the decline of the mainline church, uh, we we have seen this already. You know, I mean, I remember back in seminary reading Guterres and liberation theology and sort of seeing how that had infiltrated um, the mainline church. And what it fundamentally did was it, it began to eviscerate the the hope of heaven within the preaching of the church and turn the church into a this world social engineering uh, enterprise, which we saw, um, you know, allows for a lot of activism and a lot of um, political involvement, but is it does in fact take away um, the actual uh, historic biblical hope of Christianity about sin and redemption and, and the hope of heaven and the reality of hell and and um, and and all of the the, the various uh, aspects of it. And so now, what we're witnessing is the um, infiltration of what we've already seen just into the broader sort of big Eva mainline American church. And so, you know, the, the fact that, that we have, you know, been asked to go to meetings where the, the purported reason was to talk about um, how to help the hurting in your community, right? I mean, I remember this was like a, a diocesan, you know, initiative in the, every single diocese I've ever been a part of. And so you get down to these meetings and what it actually is, is a, a political action group uh, that is decidedly uh, progressive in its politics and essentially based upon what we now would call um, social justice uh, constructs of race and gender and patriarchy and all the various other uh, sins, according to this worldview. And I think I think that's what what where we particularly find ourselves in this conversation is that we have we have heard the appeals and have felt them to our hearts about helping the hurting and the lost and the and the downtrodden. And so we are Christian 
Christian people who who want to be involved in that. And yet we have seen for years what this actually looks like, and it is anything but uh, based on um, sort of biblical uh, categories and ultimately the hope of the gospel. And so that's what we're pushing back on. It's not the idea of helping people or, or, or wanting to alleviate suffering, but, but having an entirely different understanding of, well, sin, sin, death, redemption, and hope. I mean, that's just, that's just how it is. And, and so I, I'm, I feel for these people who are getting pulled into a world by their heart and then what they are then um, lectured by and talked to uh, by purportedly Christian people is anything but a, a biblical understanding of what of what's going on in the world. Would you say that a reasonable summary of this would be that Christianity and therefore Christian justice and biblical justice are fundamentally concerned about the heart, the, the, the state of the individual sinner, whereas social justice is concerned about equitable outcomes for groups, and that it can work to cross the barrier in one direction, but not in the other. That if the gospel can be proclaimed in such a way that it changes the heart of a sinner, then groups in society can potentially expect more just outcomes. But if we're working for just outcomes in society and worried about groups, then we're never going to get back to the heart. It doesn't work that way. Do you think that's fair? I, I do. I think it's fair. Nothing about this debate drives me more insane I won't say anger because I'm not an angry person, of course, but um, with indication, let's put it that way, uh, is, is when someone draw, makes a comparison between personal salvation and social change and denigrates the church for seeking the personal salvation of sinners. To have the two, social justice and personal salvation, anywhere near close to one another as as equal goals even is is betrays such a lack of biblical understanding of God's justice, mm. which is eternal. And and that we're dealing with the fact that people we live with next door, people in our churches, people in um, our communities are possibly going to be spending eternity in hell. And, and we would rather talk about equitable redistribution of wealth, and we think that's that's the important thing. It just, I I think I have a hard time with someone who says they're treating someone who thinks that way as an actual believer. I don't think that person actually believes in in the reality of them. They haven't grappled with it anyway, Um, and the reality of heaven. Because if someone really understands what it means to be facing God's judgment forever, then that would drive you first and foremost to focus on preaching in such a way that individual sinners That's right. hear the gospel and are brought to salvation and, and given eternal life. And justice, or if you wanted to say something like charity, is a fruit of the Spirit. It, it, That's right. It comes as a Absolutely. result to... Uh, throw in another Vadi quote. He said that the church is about the proclamation of the gospel 
recognizing that true justice must and can only come from hearts transformed through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're passing by Hope, Arkansas right now, which, as you know, is the birthplace of Bill Clinton, the man from Hope. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's the, the slogan hearing from the social justice crowd is also what I think is appealing to them. You know, the, uh, who doesn't who doesn't want to be on the side of, of the oppressed? Who doesn't want to help uh, the helpless? Who doesn't want to clothe the naked and feed the hungry and all the and all the things? And yeah, and anti you, anti-justice. That's that's how we're like you, you and I and you know have been yeah, yeah, accused of being exactly. anti-justice. <laughs> so it's like right. you know, villains. That's, that's what makes fact, the criminals. so effective is <laughs> right. That's what makes the spoken area so effective. You think it, to say it's more important to preach the gospel so that souls are saved than to uh, engage in social justice can then be caricatured as you don't you don't want to do justice. You don't want to help the poor. You don't want to be the hungry. You don't <laughs> want to, right. you want to go and talk about your theological high and by, high and sky by and by uh, realities that don't help anybody. Your gospel has never fed a hungry child kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's what brings us back to the, what we've kind of landed on in all these conversations. You know, I think Nick, I think it's to your credit that you're teaching these classes. I think a lot of our, uh, would that that every clergy felt it incumbent upon himself to to educate his flock this way um, against these what we say secular ideologies and false gospels is really what they are the identity the sexuality and this this um, unbiblical idea of justice which is essentially um, racist I mean fundamentally and classist and does not hold out the hope for what the gospel has actually purchased for the world um, which is simply a, a, a tarnished foretaste of what heaven promises where there's no Jew or Greek slave or free male or female but we are all one in Christ where there is a genuine brotherhood and sisterhood of humanity um, redeemed sinners from all tribe tongue and nation and so you know, where we are going to end up landing is that um, this divide between these 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 gospels and false gospels is will it make deepen, widen or at the very least remain until the dividing wall of hostility, as it were, is brought down in Christ. And until then, you know, what we're going to do, Matt, is unashamedly uh, proclaim the gospel of individual salvation for little individual people who are individually worth God's uh, atoning sacrifice and his son for his glory. And and watch what happens, you know, watch what happens when when fathers are reconciled to their wives, when when races, uh, you know, quote unquote races, people of different ethnicities are brought to sing and praise together without resentment or envy um, or, or judgment. Uh, watch what happens when children are raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord as creatures of his good design and pleasure. And we're just going to keep going. And, you know, we're going to have to be more vigilant and more aware of, of, of the, uh, the forest outside the village, as it were. But, you know, we've been here before and we will, by God's grace, um, and be here well after um, our, 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 our this this too shall pass. And so, 
I don't know. I don't really know. I mean, I think the discussion has been helpful, but but it's been, if only in anything in my mind, it's simply just clarified the 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 stark um, alternatives that have been before us. And if I thought that there was kind of a mediating position before, I have uh, <laughs> it's just a thought and talked my way out of that at least. And I have all the hope that we will continue this conversation with those with whom we disagree with gentleness and grace, as First Peter admonishes us. But um, but there there does seem to be some fundamental, as Bodhi Bakken would say, fault lines that underlie a lot of these conversations that I think have been exposed. And we will pray that those faults will be brought back together by the reconciliation of God and Christ for the world. But short of that, there that's um, it doesn't seem likely. And so that's why we'll keep preaching, keep preaching and keep teaching and equipping and, and doing the work of, of ministry. You got any final words, Matt? I've never heard anyone so intentionally try to bring a podcast to a close than would you? Yeah, come on now. <laughs> that's, that's good for me. I'm fine with that. All right. Drive safely. Thank I didn't you. have to Sorry end it then. You can edit that, that somewhere else. It was great. It was great. <laughs> Well, Matt and Ann are on the road. We pray for their safe travels. That's going to be all the time we have for our podcast this week. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to keep the conversation going with us, we hope that you'll be in touch. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks as always to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Mm-hmm.